0: Welcome to Episode 11 of Murder, We Write. I'm your host, Carol Goodman-Kaufman. On this podcast, I talk with crime writers whose short stories and novels run the gamut from cozies to domestic thrillers. We'll learn from them about their craft, their process, and the business of writing. My guest today is the multiple award-winning author Deborah H. Goldstein. Deborah is the author of Kensington Press's Sarah Blair mystery series, Cozies. But she's much more than that. Deborah's been a judge, a litigator, and a civic volunteer. So we'll find out if and how all these different roles have influenced her writing. So let's jump in. Welcome, Deborah, to Murder We Write. First, let's talk about your background. You've been in publishing and the law, you've even been a Jeopardy contestant. Can you give us some details? Carol, thank you for
1: having me today. I deliberately graduated college early so that I could try to find out if I could find a job in publishing and accomplish my other goal of being on Jeopardy. Two days after graduation, resume in hand, I flew from Michigan to New York and started my search. In case things didn't work out, I typed law school applications by night figuring I could go the following fall to law school. I was very fortunate. I met both of my goals and I realized very rapidly that being at the bottom of the publishing heap was not something I wanted to do. So having accomplished the goals, I went to law school in the fall. Law school um, was an interesting purpose for for me, but it kind of stifles the writing. I went ahead and, as you said, I graduated, became a litigator, had a case of first impression in equal pay, and was fortunate enough to be appointed to a judgeship at age 36 and sworn in at 37 when the average age was 58.
0: So that's quite a background there, Deborah. How does any of it impact your writing, if it does at all? My first published
1: short story, Malicious Mischief, featured a young attorney. He was forced to take a case by his mother and her Mahjong group. I used my legal knowledge to incorporate law, courtroom scenes, negotiations, and how one handles irascible clients. I liked those characters so much that when I wrote my second novel, Should have played poker, a Carrie Martin and the Mahjong Players mystery, which was just recently reissued in trade paperback and ebook. I brought those characters back, but I brought them back for comic relief because Carrie Martin was a young, serious corporate attorney. And with the factors in her life, I knew we needed to balance both. Humor, which was the Mahjong players as her helpful co-sleuths, and I needed the young attorney that I'd used in that story to also balance her both in um, the ways of the law and to give her purpose to be in certain legal involvements. It was funny though, when I went on the bench, I stopped writing lawyers, and legal precedents, and legal issues as main issues. I made them subplots. I had subcharacters who were attorneys. But while I could define an issue or a problem in a subplot using legal frameworks, it was always minimal. I think it was that I was afraid that I would be thought of taking real cases and utilizing them in my writing. So I stopped. My short stories and novels thereafter didn't feature attorneys in a predominant manner. I'm finally, now that I'm not on the bench anymore, writing a novel that again features a young lawyer. So I guess I've come full circle with my legal career.
0: Okay, so that's the legal part of your background, Deborah. Let's talk about cooking now. In your bio, you describe your relationship with the kitchen basically as one of benign neglect. In fact, I seem to recall you described it as simply a room to pass through on your way to another part of your house, which gave me a laugh, just like your protagonist, Sarah Blair. But her twin sister, Emily, is a professional chef. So where did you get your material? Where did you do your research on food prep?
1: Birmingham, Alabama, where I live, has become quite a foodie place. We have many James Beard winners as well as nominees. Because my husband and I eat out so much, because I am, as you noted, much like Sarah, a woman who is more frightened of the kitchen than murder, we've tried most of their restaurants as well as anything else that's ever been recommended to us. The result is we made friends with many of the restaurateurs here in town. As a result, when it came time to write the Sarah Blair series, I understood or knew Sarah's side of the facts of cooking because I know how to blow up an oven, and I know that if it says J8, the brain is dead. If it's J6, it's just on fire but I didn't know Emily's side. So I went and talked to the people who did, the restaurant owners, the servers, the managers, the food suppliers. The result was that I really got a great education behind the scenes. For example, when I wrote Four Cuts Too Many, which deals with knives, I called one of my friends and she had me come down to her kitchen. I explained that I wanted to do an ice pick murder, which was that the knife had to go into a certain place in the neck and it had to go just right. She showed me an array of knives and asked me which one I thought might work. Of course I went for the wrong one. I finally, as she showed me, needed an itty bitty one, a deboner, because it would go through anything. And it became the crux of the beginning of the book. It was the object used for the murder.
0: Well, I do spend a lot of time in the kitchen because I love to cook. But having heard what you just said about knives, now I'm a little afraid to go back in. But let's talk about writing, not knives. Are you a plotter or a pantser, somebody who writes by the seat of her pants?
1: Carol, I wish I could be as comfortable and happy being in the kitchen as you are but to me it's the worst place in the house. My happy point is writing and pantsing. I find that if I have an idea and go with it, it flows. It's when I decide I'm going to plot deliberately or say this is gonna be the killer or this is gonna be the bad guy, the villain, or, or somebody good, it goes askew. For example, when I wrote One Taste Too Many, I started it, was pantsing, decided who I thought should be the killer, wrote it in that manner because now I was plotting, and I realized that the book was great up to the middle, but horrible from the middle to the end. I thought about it for two weeks, couldn't understand why I hated it, why it was boring, and then it suddenly hit me. The person I had pigeonholed into being the killer was not the killer. I had it all wrong. I had to go back, go back to the point at which I had been pantsing, which was the middle of the book, throw out everything from the middle to the end, and start pantsing again. It all worked out. The killer was right. And ironically, I discovered the clues were all there along the way. I just hadn't seen them. I have an editor who likes me to give him a very tight synopsis, which in a way is like plotting. But the funny part is, I don't think I have ever written a book from book two to five where I haven't had to send him an email saying, I had a little change. I hope you don't mind. I added this character. I did this. Because my pantsing
0: nature took off, and that's what made the book good. It really is amazing the variety of writing styles that people use. Um, My friend and fellow writer Janet Ray Stevens likes to call her hybrid plotting and pantsing style, plotzing, which I think is a riot. She's not even Jewish and she's plotzing. Anyway, a little bit more about process. Do you write every day? Do you aim for a certain number of words when you're writing? Do you have a room of your own?
1: I love Janet's phrase, plotzing. And I am Jewish, so I very much appreciate it. Yes, I have a room of that I write in. It's a garden-type room, lots of windows, lots of light, lots of music. I like to write to show music. So I sit here in a chair that once belonged to my father and that as a child I played on. It. Um, I thought it was so big that I used to play horsey and everything else in it. Now I own it. So that's where I write. Do I write every day? No. I'm one of those who writes when the muse hits me. I don't have an amount of words I have to get out. I don't have a time to write. It's funny, when I was on the bench, I wrote somewhere between 12 a.m. and 2 a.m. on a regular basis. But now, there's no schedule and there's no commitment to writing every day. But I am one of those that once I get into writing a story or once I get into writing a chapter, I lose all track of time. If the piece is really working, I'm in another zone. And that is a wonderful feeling. Of course, if it's not working, um, I think of some other phrases that might be very close to what Janet comes up with.
0: So you do have a room of your own, just like Virginia Woolf. That's fabulous. Speaking of famous authors, do you have any particular idols in the mystery genre, and have they influenced your own writing style? For me, there are quite a few that I have been influenced by. For the Cozies,
1: there's no one more so than Carolyn Hart, though in more recent times, Barbara Ross runs a close second. In more traditional suspense, I always look towards Phyllis Whitney, and then more recently, Hallie Efren and Hank Philippi Ryan. For the saga, Marjorie Osterman, Damned If You Do, Damned If You Don't Can't Be Beat. And in the short story, while I love Michael Bracken and um, a few others, B.K. Stevens is my idol for the short stories that she wrote.
0: So which aspects of these different authors have influenced you the most? For example, in character development, or in setting, or in plotting?
1: Carol, Hart and Ross to me are purely character. They have strong plots, but it's the characters that intrigue me. They write them so well, and they feel so much like you're your friends. They're your family. I want to read each book. I look for their novellas. I look for the next book because you want to know what's going to happen to these characters. You're part of their family. When it came to B.K. Stevens, I looked at the complexity of her work. She had wonderful twists. She used precise language. She only had so many words to deal with because she was either doing a short story or a novella. She didn't have time to rattle like you would in a novel. She didn't have time to waste a chapter or page or even a paragraph, but she was so precise in what she wrote and so um her topics. She would she could be writing about tenure. She could be writing about divorce. She could be writing about marriage, and she just nailed it. If I could write a story half as good as she, I would be in heaven. For Hallie Ephron and for Hank and for Phyllis Whitney, I look for story and setting because you have to have the setting of each of their books to know where it's taking place, but then it's a matter of the story evolving. I don't care about following some of their characters from book to book. I do care about following them in the particular book I'm reading because it's the plot twist, it's the story twist. That intrigued me. And it's still Marjorie Osterman who, to me, put it all together. Damned If You Do, Damned If You Don't was a book that I picked up as a kid. I had an aunt who used to encourage me to read and loan me books. Why well, I quickly outpaced her uh, children's section, so I started reading her adult books and tell me what kid's not going to be intrigued by the title, Damned If You Do, Damned If You Don't. I mean, I grabbed it. But you know, obviously, I didn't understand all of it then, but it captured setting New York. It had a generational story. The characters are something I could remember and I could relate to. I got it because each of them kept changing. Um, In the end, I've reread the book now as an adult. I see how well written it was. I see how wonderful she put it all together. And I still find it a wonderful lesson. The funny thing is I've gone back and read the reviews and they too, back then when this book was written, pointed out how much she captured the setting and how much she did all the other things. So to me, that's still one of my favorite books. Damned if you do, damned if you don't.
0: Well, Deborah Goldstein, it's obvious that you read as a writer taking lessons from the master's. And you've been a prolific writer yourself with three mystery series. Thank you so much for joining me today and for sharing with us your writing life and your scary knowledge of knives. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. Please join me next time for episode 12 of Murder, We Write. Who will our guest be? That's the mystery.
1: Carol, thank you for having me today. It was my pleasure to spend time with you. If your readers have any interest in any of the Sarah Blair recipes, such as jello in a can or spinach pie made with Stouffer souffle, if they go to my website, www.debrahgoldstein, they can download a free cookbook. So again, thank you.